You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning, church. My name is Joel, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you today. I'm going to pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us. And today our prayer is just that we would see Jesus accurately. We would see him rightly. And as we see him, we would worship him in all of his glory and power and authority. And lastly, that God, we would be moved to partner with you in Jesus' kingdom, in his kingdom of light as we push back the darkness alongside of you. And we pray this would happen And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A few years ago, I was at my barber getting my hair cut, and I'm sure some of you guys are like, hold on, how long ago was this? Uh, (laughs) This was long enough ago that there was enough hair to warrant paying somebody money to cut it for me. That's how long ago. Uh, And and I'm sitting in the chair, and she begins telling me, essentially, that she lives in a haunted house. And she says that, you know, her whole family lives there, that they regularly had uh, experiences of dark spiritual activity. And she said that they had tried all kinds of things to get rid of it, but nothing had worked. They tried casting spells. They tried bringing in little household gods to get rid of these other spirits, and, and nothing had worked. Now, keep in mind, this woman is from a different country, She's from a different culture where belief in many gods is common, uh, and, and I'm sitting there, and she's cutting my hair, and I'm just going, wow, this is like a counseling appointment or something. This is crazy, and, and, and she says, you probably think I'm crazy, because here she is cutting the hair of a, a white dude, like an American, you know, normal-looking guy, right? You probably think I'm crazy. You probably don't even believe what I'm talking about, is what she said, and I said, well, actually, you might be surprised to hear that. I do believe in dark spirits, uh, e- evil spiritual forces, and I actually got the chance to tell her that I was a Christian and at least in some part explain to her what we believe about these things as Christians. So I'm going to tell you more or less what I told her. I didn't, of course, do it in as uh, orderly of a fashion as I'm about to tell you this, but I told her that we live in a natural world. We believe we live in a natural world, natural in the sense that creation is ordered in such a way that the laws of nature, they they work, they're they're predictable, right? We can explain much of what happens in the universe through very natural means. And so we do, we live in a natural world, but we also live in a supernatural world. Supernatural in the sense that sometimes what we see and experience defies the laws of nature. And as Christians, we know uh, that there are many ways that God is at work in the world, both through the supernatural and the natural. So he acts in ways that can be observed and measured through you know, the scientific process, but he also works in ways that can't be observed, measured, or predicted with science. And it's 
in the supernatural world where the spiritual things exist. The Bible teaches uh, that as things are going on all around us in this natural, physical world, there's also something going on behind the scenes, supernaturally, spiritually. Spiritual forces of good, that's God and his angels, and spiritual forces of evil, that's Satan and demons. And whether we realize it or not, there is literally a spiritual war going on all around us all the time. And it is into this war that Jesus came. You know, back in Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, we saw Jesus battle the devil in the desert, right? And, and he won. Amen? He won. And, and we've also seen that he healed those who were oppressed by demons. We've seen Matthew said this already twice, which is another way of saying that he battled the demons and won. And in our story today, we're going to see a powerful demonstration of the kind of authority that Jesus has over evil. It's a demonstration that he did in the past, but it's one that points to his work today in the present, and it ultimately points to the end of evil in the future. And so the big idea is the Son of God judges demons, so we stand in awe of his victory. So let's kind of dig back into it. We're going to begin with verse 28 where it said, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. So here's the setting of the story. And we got to remember what has happened right before this. So Jesus, in chapters 5 through 7, he had preached the Sermon on the Mount. And at the conclusion of that, everyone was amazed by what he taught because he spoke with true authority, which is another way of saying that they could tell by Jesus' teaching that he is the Son of God in the flesh. And so he has authority to speak on God's behalf. But we've also seen that he descended from that mountain where he preached with those powerful words and he came down to perform powerful works. All throughout chapter 8, we've seen him doing this with the same authority as God in human flesh. So he's already done many powerful works. We've seen him heal all kinds of people. We've seen him calming the storm, which we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. And it's this same storm-calming boat ride that he took which lands him and his disciples on the other side of the water. He got into the boat in the land of the Jews, and now he has come arriving in the land of the Gentiles, meaning that he's crossed uh, not just water, but he's crossed ethnic, cultural, and a national border. This is in modern-day Jordan, and at the time of Jesus, it was also another country. It was one that had been ruled by the Greeks, the, the Hellenists, and it was one that was full of a pantheon of Greek gods. So in other words, this is a godless place given over to the presence of evil. And when Jesus arrives, he is met by two demon-possessed men. And some of you, when we even read that word, demon-possessed, you're like, whoa, 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 what is, what is going on here? And we got to remember, demons are evil spirits 
But we've got to say much, much more about them for this story to kind of begin to make sense. Demons can be understood as sinful and fallen angels. But unlike angels, they seem to want to possess other bodies rather than angels who have their own. Uh, And their work is to oppress people. Demons' work is to oppress people through things like idolatry, uh, through physical ailments, through lies, through temptation to sin. They, their job is to accuse and to condemn. So if you're a Christian and you've, you've fallen into sin, they come right behind you to reinforce the guilt that you already feel. They accuse and condemn. And yet the Bible also says that they work in the world through people who have given themselves over to the demon's power, especially those who have human authority and power but are misusing that human authority and power, those who are disobedient to God. And so we have to think of evil rulers as those who are also working on behalf of evil spirits. And it's this giving of oneself over to the power of demons. It's the best way of understanding this word possessed. This word possessed, demon possessed. In in other places in our translation, it actually renders that same Greek word not as possessed, but as oppressed, but it really means basically the same thing. And some of you guys, as I'm talking about possession, you're going, whoa, can, can I be possessed by a demon. We're going to cover that in a little bit. We'll come back to it later. But for now, what we need to understand is what's going on with these two men. What's going on with these guys? What does it mean that they were possessed, but not just possessed, possessed to the point where they were so fierce, it said, that no one could pass their way? Well, thankfully, this story appears in Mark's gospel as well, and it kind of gives more explanation to what's going on. In Mark's telling of the story, he only has one demoniac, but he tells us a lot more detail about that guy. There it says that he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so you can imagine that everyone in this town has got to be terrified of these dudes. And, and the fact that they live in the tombs is even creepier, amen? It's like something out of a horror movie. And we have to notice, though, is that these, these guys, they had supernatural strength in their body due to the supernatural uh, evil in their spirit. And the reason why I'm pointing that out to you is that we have to understand that human beings are both body and spirit. Both of these two things interact with each other. This is called duality. It's what the Bible teaches us about human beings. Body and spirit. And so what that means is that we are, as human beings, we are people not divided but whole, meaning that what happens in someone's spirit affects 
what happens in their body, and what happens in someone's body affects what happens in their spirit. Both of these things go together. And the reason why I think it's so important to point this out is that far too often in our modern world, people only consider the body. They only consider the natural, only consider the material. The world de-emphasizes the supernatural and the spiritual to the point where uh, the idea that there is something spiritual going on is just seen as ludicrous, is ridiculous. And yet there are countless ways in which strictly viewing human beings through the body or through the lens of science and biology, it, it falls short because it doesn't account for half of who that person is. I'll give you an example. I was walking uh, down the Ave in the U District about a year ago with a friend, and we walked past a guy who was behaving almost exactly like this demon-possessed man in our story today. And my friend turns to me, and, he's, and he says, do you think that he's just, you know, tripping? Or does he have a demon? And I said, well, I don't know. Probably both. Probably both. Even if that guy was high on something, he's now handed the keys of his body and his spirit over to whatever wants to come in for that thing, that spirit, to do whatever it wants to do in and through him. And so it's probably both. And yet, so much of what we try to do to help people who are stuck in addiction or who have mental health problems is to work only on their body. And I want you to hear me very clearly here. I'm not dismissing the work of, of uh, people who are stuck in addiction and mental health problems as uh, working only on their body is a bad thing. That is a good thing to work on people's bodies, people's uh, minds, the issues of uh, chemical imbalances and all of those things, most of that work is good and necessary. But just adding more medications or more therapy or more behavioral practices does not cover the whole picture. It doesn't cover the whole person. There is always a spiritual dimension to the problem because there is always a spiritual dimension to the person. And we know this is true even if we uh, look at it in different situations, things like physical ailments that we experience. Say you've gone through some sort of severe physical trauma or a, a significant disease like cancer. We know that when we go through that experience, that what, how we respond to that pain, how we respond to the fear of whatever is ailing us in that time actually affects what's going on with us spiritually. It, it, it actually has an effect on how close we get to God in the midst of that suffering or how it might push us away from Him. And so there's always a spiritual dimension even if there's something going on in the body. And so we have to come back now to uh, the demon-possessed men. I want to come back to them. I'm sure many of you have either been under the influence of darkness yourself at some point in your life, or you've actually witnessed others who were. You, you've seen similar kinds of behavior that these demon-possessed men exhibited. Things like 
uh, cutting, things like crying out, things like uh, convulsions and people's bodies being capable of things that they otherwise wouldn't. I'm sure you've experienced these things at some point or other. I know I have. I've encountered people who it seemed like with a flip of a switch went from looking completely normal and sober to seeming like they're tripping out of their mind on some drugs, eyes bulging out of their face, uh, their body convulsing, things like that. I've met with people who were talking about themselves calmly one moment, and then at the mention of Jesus or the reading of Scripture or something like that, their whole body changed and they got physically aggressive and began to threaten me. I've experienced that. Does that mean that that person that I was meeting with had merely a mental disorder? I don't think so. And what's interesting is in every one of these kinds of cases of people who I've spoken to and met with, They've told me that they've heard voices. I I would say those are the voices, the demonic voices. And they were prescribed medication that was aimed at silencing those voices. And each of them told me it didn't work. Why? Why? Because even if there is something wrong in our minds, in our bodies, there is always a spiritual dimension to the problem. Medication doesn't have power over demons, amen? It isn't meant to. It's meant to address a chemical imbalance, not a demon. And so as we think about uh, the, the power that medication might or might not have, we also are reminded of the power that demons have and don't have. Do demons have power over God? Do they have power over Jesus? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Look at verse 29 where it said, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So these demons They've co-opted the bodies of these men and they use these men's voices to cry out to Jesus. And it's not a cry of praise, it's a cry of terror. They're terrified. They identify Jesus as the Son of God. Why, why are they able to do that? Because they already know Him. They already know Him. They, he created them too and like humans, they have fallen and sinned. They fell from glory. And these demons have known the eternal Son of God from long before these two men were alive. They've known the eternal Son of God since before the eternal Son of God came to earth in human flesh in the person of Jesus. And as the Bible says, they shudder at His presence. They are terrified of Him, which you can actually tell here in this story. Why? Why are they terrified of Jesus? The answer is because they know that their days are numbered. They know that it's only a matter of time before God judges humanity and along with them all of these evil spirits. And that day is what they're referring to when they say, have you come to torment us before the time? The time is the day of judgment. It's judgment day. On that day, Jesus will eradicate evil from the earth. 
It's going to be a good day. It's one that we get to look forward to. And so they knew that they would be destroyed one day, but they also knew that that day at the time of this story had not yet come. And so what did that mean for Jesus in this moment? Did that mean that, you know, the demons had a leg up on him? Like he was helpless, he had to just kind of lay himself out on the battlefield and wait for that future day? No. In fact, what happens is like a glimpse of that future day. This, this moment here is not the final judgment, but it does point us to it. Check out what happens in verse 32. It says, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away to the land, into the, sorry, into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Whoa, that is bizarre, is it not? Mark's gospel tells us that there were 2,000 pigs. Can you even imagine that? Rushing down this steep bank, maybe off a cliff, into the water below. This is bizarre. What in the world is going on? That's where our minds should go when we read this story. What in the world? And we got to remember that there's more than the natural and material at play here. What we see here is nothing short of supernatural, so it should seem strange to us. It is strange, right? (laughs) Amen? Because although spiritual warfare happens in all sorts of ways every single day, this kind of thing with the pigs doesn't happen every day. In fact, I'm guessing it probably hasn't happened besides on this one day. So what in the world is going on with the pigs? We've got to ask that question. The pigs represent the same things that this town does, that this country does, that these people that Jesus has come to, they represent the same sorts of things, things like unclean, Gentile godlessness. And the effect that the demons have on the pigs here is more or less the same effect that they have on human beings when they possess a human being. They want to cause self-destruction. That's their aim. You notice that the moment that the demons entered the pigs, the pigs go in for their own death. But in this case, this situation with the pigs, as strange as it may seem, it's also a prefiguring of that future judgment where God defeats Satan and demons once and for all. And what does the Bible say that he will do with them on that day? You guys know? He will cast them into the lake. In that case, it's a lake of fire. In this case, it's the lake of water, the the Sea of Galilee. And so it's a picture of that future day. What happens next? Verse 33 and 34 tell us, The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So the people of the city were scared. Luke's gospel tells us that they were seized with great fear, not only because of the extraordinary nature of what had just happened, but also because they lost around 2,000 pigs. That's their food. That's their economic livelihood 
that they were dependent upon. And so in many ways, it makes sense that these local people weren't real excited about Jesus, right? It said all the city begged him to leave. They weren't ready to worship Jesus. They were worried more about their bottom line. And in contrast, these these herdsmen that it just spoke about, they're not necessarily heroes of the story. They aren't not like examples of great moral virtue, but they did get at least one thing right. And I'm going to, in pointing this out, I want to actually spend almost the rest of our time focused on this one thing that they got right. And what is that? They focused especially on what happened to the demon-possessed man. Their mind wasn't as much on the demons and the pigs. And, And that's a good reminder for us to not get so caught up and distracted with the demons and the pigs. Surely it's strange, (laughs) and it does draw our attention to those things. But we can't get focused and fixated on it. Here's what I mean. You guys heard of that quote from that movie, The Usual Suspects, where the guy says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist, right? Probably familiar with that, at least to some extent. And I've been spending almost this entire message trying to prove to you uh, that the devil has done that to us in our culture, right? That there is a supernatural world that we are living in, and we have to open our eyes to recognize it. But C.S. Lewis is famous for having said there's another mistake that we can make with evil spiritual beings besides just disbelieving in them. He says there's another one, and he said the other mistake is having an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Okay? So that's where I want to focus. What would an excessive and unhealthy interest in evil spirits look like? What might that look like? I'm going to give you three ways as we close our time. The first would be blame Satan and demons for everything that is evil. People have been doing this since the garden, right? Where they said, oh no, it's the serpent. He's the one who did. The devil made me do it. It's his fault. Forgetting that we as human beings, we are evil too. And remember, as human beings, we are the ones who give them power over us. So instead of partnering with Jesus in his kingdom of light, we partner with the kingdom of darkness, Yet they would have no power in this world if we didn't give it to them. If we weren't already inclined toward evil apart from them. And so we can't blame Satan and demons for all evil. They're not alone. Unfortunately, we are their partners at times. Number two, what would excessive and unhealthy interests look like? It's when we believe that they are all-powerful. Though they are powerful, we've seen it already in this story, they have no power over Jesus. None. No power over Jesus. And so we don't need to be afraid, Christian. We don't need to be afraid. We need to walk in the light of Jesus and we will overcome the darkness. You know, in all of the extreme encounters that I've had with demonic power, with evil spirits, by the grace of God, in none of those times have I ever been afraid. And you know why? 
It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus and his power and his authority. It, it, it makes them seem like a bunch of weaklings when you recognize them in light of who he is. And so coming back to the question that we asked earlier, can Christians be possessed by demons? The answer is no. They are not all powerful. And we, Christian, we are children of God. We are under the authority of the Son of God, and we are filled with the Spirit of God. And yes, we can foolishly and wickedly give them power over our lives still. Absolutely. But in that case, even though they can hold very significant sway over our will and our desires, we cannot be powerlessly possessed by them. That's just not what the Bible teaches. So that's good news for us as Christians today. We can't be overcome by evil, but we have overcome the evil one, the Bible says. Um, but at the same time, it's also good news for those of you who aren't Christians because you get to hear it, receive it, and repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and come to the kingdom of light and leave the kingdom of darkness. And that's what you're invited to today. Number three, excessive and unhealthy interests is when we're on Ghostbusters high alert. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? This is like a lot of what goes on in like televangelists and kind of crazy stuff on the internet. Some of you guys might have seen, for example, Kenneth Copeland at the beginning of COVID. He like had this whole session where he was like rebuking the evil spirits of COVID-19. You guys remember this? Anybody see this? It was on one hand very hilarious because I know that it was completely like ridiculous and crazy. And it was, on the other hand, very sad because I know that dude's got millions of viewers and people are actually buying into this stuff. Uh, as a little side note, uh, somebody took that uh, bizarre prophecy from Kenneth Copeland and they turned it into a heavy metal song. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's pretty amazing, though. I just thought it should. We have... In the name of Jesus. Oh, Okay, yeah, that's good, that's good. Um, you, it's worth a watch, it's pretty short, uh, but we aren't going to watch the whole thing right now. Um, but again, we're laughing, it is funny, it's also really sad, because people are, they, they live like that is what is going on, like we've got to turn over every single stone to find another devil under there. And while we did spend most of our time talking about how there is supernatural and spiritual war going on around us all the time, we got to remember, we are also not just spirits as human beings, we are also bodies. And not everything is spiritual warfare, right? Some things are just natural. Some things, like we said in the first point, are people just being evil, like in number one, right? Some things are just the effects of living in a broken and fallen world. We don't have to turn over every stone to find which devil is underneath it. And at the same time, we do need to be wise. As the Apostle John says, some spirits are from God, some are not. He says to test the spirits. 
And the way to do that, he says, is every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's pretty simple, really. So in other words, if there is some spiritual influence over someone or acting through someone, we must ask whether that spirit makes us closer or further from Jesus and His will. And as we think about that and kind of making those tests on things, I think another helpful distinction is to know the difference between ordinary spiritual warfare and extraordinary spiritual warfare. And the reason why is because it will give you clues as to where you need to be at in the process. So for example, ordinary spiritual warfare is a lot like this testing of the spirits that John, uh, the Apostle John has shared with us. It's what all of us deal with every single day, that we, that we have to be wise and discerning. Uh, we get temptations every day from within and from without. We get accusations every day. Sometimes we even hear voices. Sometimes we experience spiritual darkness. And these kinds of things are actually normal. These are ordinary spiritual warfare that we fight with things like prayer and scripture reading and spiritual disciplines, even worship. Like when we come here today, when we gather together with the people of God and we praise God and we worship Him, that's an act of spiritual warfare. Do you know that? We're pushing back the darkness as we are praising Jesus as we come together. And so there's a lot of ordinary ways that we deal with ordinary spiritual warfare, and we should expect it. It's normal. But then there are times where we experience extraordinary spiritual warfare. Some of the things like I've told you about today, that's, that's much more rare, these more extreme manifestations of evil powers, but I've experienced them. I'll give you another story, another example of what I mean. Um, and, it, and it sort of teeters between the ordinary and the extraordinary. And what, what, the reason why I'm telling you the story is I want you to see that it isn't as outlandish and crazy as you might think. And the ways in which we deal with these things are not as outlandish and crazy as you might think. You don't have to turn into Kenneth Copeland with the heavy metal guitar uh, in order to deal with evil spirits. So I knew a guy, we'll call, we'll call him Johnny just for the sake of this story. Johnny and his wife, they were newly married. They'd gotten involved in a church that I was a part of, and we'd gotten to know them. We were walking with them. It was great. Johnny was a, a pretty large, kind of tough dude, but he also had a soft spirit about him. You know, he's kind of like a giant teddy bear kind of personality. And one day he showed up at our church in tears, unannounced. We didn't know that he was coming, and he was completely overwhelmed with grief, kind of a little bit erratic as he was coming into our building, and we asked him to explain what happened, why, what's going on, what, what's wrong, and he said that he and his wife had been fighting a lot, and I said, well, Johnny, that's your problem, and you're newly married, you don't know this, but none of the rest of us who are married fight, um, and so... <laughs> No, I didn't. I did the exact opposite. I said, this is normal, you know. Conflict is normal. Like, that's a part of two sinners living together and trying to figure out how to love one another, right? It's, it's normal. But what he told us is in the midst of all these fights and this conflict, he was getting really angry with his wife. 
And a few times when he did, he actually heard a voice in his head telling him to hurt her physically. And it was like a temptation that he was experiencing, but it was far worse. He was like living in this fog and confusion. It seemed like what he heard was his own idea, like it was his own voice, his own desire. He had never, ever thought of hurting her like that before. He didn't want to. But now he was plagued with this guilt as though he had already done it. Now, as a side note, I'll need to tell you that we reached out to his wife after this meeting was over and just to check in and make sure she was okay, that he hadn't done anything, and she confirmed he's, that they'd had some verbal disagreements and stuff, but she was okay, which was good. But here we were, we were, we were sitting with a broken Johnny in this room, and, and so we began to ask him more questions. Things like we would ask in any ordinary counseling appointment, listening to what he was saying and directing his heart toward God. We read scripture to him, we spoke truth to him, we prayed over him. And we realized that whatever this spirit was that had been telling him to hurt his wife was in this moment, in this meeting, telling him to hurt himself and us. And so again, the guilt of these voices and these thoughts, they were crushing him. Finally, we drew his attention to see how these voices were not his conscience, that they were not from God. We tested these spirits, right? And we said these are not things that are consistent with Scripture or who God says that you are in Christ, and we encouraged him to pray. And he got down on his knees with his head in his hands, and, and he cried out to Jesus for deliverance. He rebuked these evil spirits in Jesus' name, telling them to leave him alone. It's kind of like uh, in The Lord of the Rings, where Smeagol tells Gollum to go away and never come back, right? Except for, this is real, this guy was being crushed by this experience. This was real. And instantly, as he prayed these things, the voices stopped. Amen. And we all took a deep sigh of relief, right? Ah, man, that was a lot of work, right? This has been going on a while. And Johnny, I'm telling you, he was full of joy, grinning from ear to ear. We're praising God. Now, to be clear, what I don't want you to hear is that this was a one-and-done situation. This, this was not Johnny's last battle, right? This, this was not the end of his warfare. There were more battles to come, but it was a battle that was fought in Jesus' name and won. And it wasn't, in the end, about the demons, right? It wasn't about them it was about the glory and power of Jesus, and it was about his love for Johnny and his love for us. And so whether we read this story that we have read today about the demoniacs, or, or whether we have these kinds of experiences that I'm telling you about that I had with Johnny, we have to keep our focus not on demons, but on people. And more than that, on Jesus and his concern for people, his love for people, his glory, his greatness, his goodness. I mean, think about this even in the story that we read in, in Matthew's gospel. Think about Jesus' compassion and his love. 
he didn't have to come all this way. Miles and miles and miles. I mean, I don't even know how many miles. 12 to, to 15 miles at least he had to come to free these men from the bonds of these demonic powers. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that, but he loved them, and he had compassion on them. In fact, most of his disciples who were with him were probably perplexed as to why they were even there among these Gentiles. They were there to witness the power and authority that Jesus has. They were there to witness that as a sign of what was to come. Not just on that future day of judgment like we talked about earlier, but of what would come much, much sooner for them, the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Where the Bible tells us the evil powers did their worst, but Jesus won the decisive victory over them. Jesus' encounter with the demoniacs, it was one little small victory, small battle. It was like a, a smaller battle in World War II, like when they... Uh, took Sicily a year before Normandy, right? It was an important victory, yet still it was not the final victory. But the cross, guys, the cross was more like Normandy. The cross was the decisive victory of Jesus over the evil powers. How so? The Bible actually tells us what he did and what he accomplished. It says in Colossians chapter 2, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, meaning that we have guilt and shame on our conscience because of our sin. Because God uh, requires of us to be upright, righteous, moral creatures, and we have fallen from that glory. We have not done as He has commanded us to do, and so we've got legal demands against us. We, we have a record of debt that we cannot pay back. And what did Jesus do? He canceled it. He canceled it. And this is going to tell us how. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross, taking care of it for good. And what does that have to do with Satan and demons? It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's Satan and demons, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Meaning, he disarmed them. He, he took away their weapons that they use against us. What do they do? They cause us to fear. They cause us to be overwhelmed with accusations of guilt and shame. And Jesus is saying, no, I took care of that. They have no weapons to use against you, Christian. They've got nothing left. Their power has been stripped from them by Jesus on the cross. And so now the end of the evil powers, it's sure, their, their day of judgment is guaranteed. We know that Jesus will return and eradicate evil. And until then, we get to stand in the strength of His might and the authority of his victory. And we get to look forward to that time when he returns and purges the world of all evil. Big idea again. The Son of God judges demons, so we stand in awe of his victory. And we don't just stand in awe. 
the role God has given us as Christians is to shine the light of the Son of God into all of those dark places in our own lives, in the lives of those who we walk with in the world, to expose evil and to work as God's agents for good in this world. And so we need God to open up our eyes so that we can see this spiritual war that we are in, so we can see it clearly as we are called into it, and so that we can stand in the strength that he supplies and fight. Here are the two community group questions that you guys can ask to kind of spark your conversations this week. What are some places you see spiritual warfare in the world or perhaps in your own world today? Number two, how can you bring the light of the Son of God into that darkness? Let's pray and then we'll respond to God together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. It, we confess, is so strange to our ears. It's so uh, extraordinary that it seems almost unbelievable to our modern uh, ways of thinking and trying to confine everything to predictability, to uh, explanations of what happens in this world. And yet, God, you show us that there are supernatural things at work. There are spiritual forces at work. So thank you for exposing us to that. Thank you for revealing that to us. And we pray that in our everyday lives, you would uh, expose those things that are darkness in us and around us. We pray that we would stand in your victory, Jesus, that we would not fear, but that we would focus in on who you are and what you have done on our behalf on the cross and resurrection. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.